0: What's up, everybody? I'm Dr. Peter Bolden. And I'm Dr. Craig Spodek, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Simply the best podcast in dentistry designed to help you maximize your practice and your life through four pillars of success. Leadership, team culture, marketing, and financial freedom, and everything in between. Now, let's get to it.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Peter Bolden, and we have... Dr. Craig Spodak on the other side. Craig and I haven't talked in a while. So this is, what is going to be an extra special podcast hmm. because I have one of my good buddies on a New York times, a recently, wait, Chris, are you New York? What times? Say today
0: I have the numbers I say today
1: York? bestseller. So Chris tough is on with us and Chris is the director of content marketing and partnerships at a huge uh, marketing firm in Atlanta called 22 squared. And, um, so Chris, I don't know where to start on this journey. I I know you and I haven't known each other a a super long time, but we met through a mutual friend and you actually approached me because you were writing a book about the millennial generation, which Craig and I talk about all the time. And I've got a funny story with this because I actually stole some of Craig's thunder and got it integrated into your book. I love it. You're going to love this story. Actually, I actually, I actually disclaimed that to him on while we were at stage on our summit. I said, look, I have it. I have something I needed to tell you that I took one of your ideas because Craig and I share very, uh, transparently amongst best practices, our practice. Cause we both want each other to succeed. And so Craig, the ADF bucks that you have written in your book, Chris yeah, was originally
0: a Spodak buck. So essentially, Pete, you're getting national notoriety uh, for my idea. But I don't have any. But no, that's
1: Chris put me in there multiple times. Uh, but but that was a good one. Everyone talks about, and I do want to give credit where credit is due because I did modify and tweak it a little bit. But the genesis of the idea came from the Spodak Dental Group. So I love it. Well, um, thanks for so, that. And I know we only have a short time today, but um, I just want to like unpack. Your whole journey, why you why you wrote this book called The Millennial Whisperer, um, that is literally like the book launch is tonight, really well. And I shouldn't say the launch, but the signing is tonight. So this is a very new published entity that it's going to be a massive brand. Um, you Guys, watch. There it is. Boom, boom. So I like it. nice let's cover. Go. I'm going to stop talking here, and I want you to jump right into your journey, unpack it a little bit, and then maybe how we can jump into some dental analogs of your story and kind of what you see uh, for dentistry and stuff. So anyway, sorry for the long-winded intro kind of intro, but buddy, I'm so glad to have you here.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, you know, in writing this book, one of the big challenges I got from different people was, uh, you know, what's this mean for my business? And that was the, the people I heard it from the most were people with, you know, uh some sort of practice in the medical field or restaurants mm-hmm. and so i knew that i needed in this book examples for each of those and then that's when i called bolden and i was like b you know what what do you guys do in any one of these areas and he started telling me this stuff i'm like oh my god you're going to be in the book at least a few times and now here we are but um you know I, th- I think so many books when i wrote this book it was it's gotta be a painkiller, not a vitamin. There's so many books out there that are just vitamins that people buy for the sake of buying because it makes them feel better in the moment, but it's not actually doing anything in changing the way that they manage their people or lead or think about the world. And that was one of my greatest kind of filters for everything. And and I think as we talk about your examples, they're great examples of things. Anyone listening today, sorry, Craig, but hopefully after this podcast, everyone will have their version of ADS bucks or Spodak bucks, but we'll get into that Um, because that's the impact I'm trying to make. Mm -hmm. And so if you kind of go through fast forward, my whole thing, my life has become a ruthless pursuit of passions. And I think in our society, we get so distracted by money or pleasing our parents or whatever it is that we end up forgetting what drives us in our head and heart. And my journey looks like that I had 64 job interviews after graduating from Vanderbilt, you would think it would be easier for me to find a job, but it just ended up that I wasn't passionate about any of the interviews. And then I ended up falling into this digital advertising firm called Moxie. I was the 13th employee. We grew from 13 to 800 within four years. What that allowed me to do was make lots and lots of lateral moves. I was an account executive. I was a creative copywriter. And then I found my niche right around 2006 in this new digital space and it was before social media was called social media. I actually ended up, I talk about how I had dinner with Mark Zuckerberg and uh, he was still expanding, just about to expand from colleges into brands. And he didn't say one word to me at dinner, but I did have dinner with him. Um, You
1: know, his dad's a dentist, you know that?
2: I did. That's right. That's right.
1: Still practices apparently. Well, maybe he's watching right now. Nah, that would be super cool. Hey, Doc Zuck, if you're listening to this, hit me up. Yeah. But so, you know,
2: that's kind of where, where I emphasize with all this, you know, you see people, this generation bounce around a lot. And one of my big things is embrace that, like bounce around, go find your thing that drives you. And um, that's where then from 2006 on, you know, I was told that if I got my first viral video, they'd give me my own department in this new trend spotting and social media space. And so I recorded my engagement video of my wife and I running. I went from spraining my ankle to popping the question. I put it on ChristopherTuff.com because YouTube wasn't around. I ended up getting 7 million views four days later. Good Morning America flew down. And then we ended up getting our pictures on the front page of the Wall Street Journal it was ridiculous. And so they're like, okay, Chris, you can have your own department. But I always use that as an example of like that the reason this stuff happens is because I'm so passionate about it. And I start my, my book about, you know, one of the best diagnoses I've ever been given and it was by my older brother. He turned to me as I was passionately talking about social media marketing and he goes, Chris, you've got a passion disorder. I was like, mm. uh, is that a bad thing? He was like, no, it's actually a good thing. You get so passionate. And so, you know, you kind of look at the evolution of me in the social space. I grew out the social practice at my firm now 22 squared, where I'm a partner. And what I found was as I transitioned to more being the face of the agency is that like I was feeling empty in a lot of ways because I was the face of the organization publicly, but I wasn't affecting lives the way I wanted to. And, and, you know, I called Pete right after I hit rock bottom and I was like, dude, we got to go kiteboarding. I kind of lost my way a little bit. And um, that was where everything changed. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to put all of my, one thing that I changed was my own metric of success. And my old metric of success was beating my brothers, my older brothers in the game of life, which is not a great metric to, to have a success metric. And I changed it to judging success on a daily basis, the amount of energy put in and impact made. And that can be judged only when your head hits the pillow. And uh, that's when I started shifting. I'm like, I'm going to put all my energy into this team of millennials that I have. So I kind of shifted back into my core from being the face, of the organization into a group of about 15 millennials. And I started implementing a lot of these things. I'm like, I wonder if this will work. I wonder if this will work. But basically all those things that I was implementing were either hypotheses or things that i had heard of, of, of what it takes to just be a good human. And everything I do nowadays kind of, I think, revolves around the need for two key things, which is more empathy and love. I think deep down, whether it be your patients, whether it be the people that work with you, deep down, everyone just wants to be love. And and the other piece is just connection. Just be real, like create a real human connection with people. and. So tactically I started doing this and I was on a men's retreat and what ended up birthing the book was I was on this men's retreat, which Pete is a part of the exchange, this men's kind of group about helping men become better men. And we talk about real stuff um, and we network and whatever, but I was at this first exchange event, which was kind of an experiment in North Georgia mountains. And, uh, uh, we were going around introducing ourselves. and they're like, so what do you do, Chris? And I was like, I don't really know what I do. You know, we're 370 employees at my advertising firm, but, you know i'm kind of like the millennial whisperer and then i sat back down <laughs> and the guy next to me tommy
1: breedlove who's a big kind of who's gonna speaker. be on, he's a big big time and he's and he's uh he's gonna be on the podcast in about a month so awesome he's amazing yeah so sorry chris and exactly
2: you know tommy i didn't know tommy at the time we've now since become best friends and he wrote the forward of my book but he kicks me he goes you better write that book I was like, what book? He goes, The Millennial Whisperer. I was like, have you met me? I'm like the most ADD. There's no way I'm writing a book. He's like, well, let me introduce you to some people. Nick Pavlidis, who's actually here for our book launch, let me introduce you to him. He'll bring order to a little bit of your chaos. And that was 14 months ago. And we fast forward and we ended up last week, we sold 16,000 copies. Uh, we, I mean, numbers that my publisher, Morgan James, I guess, hasn't ever really seen. And, you know, I've got interviews and, a lot of the big kind of cable
1: news and whatever. Didn't Tommy so Tommy taunt you with, if you don't write it, I yeah. will. Yeah, <laughs> was If awesome. you don't write it, I will. Yeah. That's that's really going to get the competitive juices phone in you. So yeah, it's been amazing to watch Chris, just seeing it from concept of us sitting in Quincy's pool, talking about like, you know, just spitballing about what I do in my practice to help, you know, with the millennials in mind and Craig and I talk about this a lot as how millennials get a bad rap. Um, and a lot of the dental workforce is composed of them. What what is exactly the dates of, of, eighty two to ninety six. So
2: in application, twenty three year olds
1: to thirty six year olds. Wow, which is a, a predominant force, wouldn't you agree, Craig? How much of your office yeah. is falls in it, that bucket? It's
0: huge. It's huge. It's so funny listening to this because I've just got so many um, interesting anecdotal stories about stuff like this from the SDG bucks and onward. But one of the initiatives I've ha- i had for our 2017 annual meeting was I just came to this point, much like what you're saying, Chris, I'm like, I just want to create more love and connection in the organization. That was my major directive. So we came up with a, you know, our mission and our mission was really about creating compassionate compassion, you know, which is arguably what love is made of empathy and totally. compassion. Yep. And it, it's an interesting social experiment that I've learned how that can backfire on you. And it's very relevant to you know the SDG Bucks program that we launched and some other initiatives that we launched. But and also I happen to be a father of a six and nine year old, so same here, same ages. So there's a massive amount of learning, and what constitutes making people feel whole, valued, complete, and loved, and how giving things to them without any consequence or reward or metric associated will create the opposite. And I think there's a lot, I mean, I'm unpacking a lot and I don't want to hijack your thought process, but I want to circle back to this because, you know, when you, when you have everything, you're less happy. Millennials, uh, and I hate to, I don't like to uh, paint with broad brushstrokes. I was corrected by a a guest we had on the podcast, Mark Cooper, who literally tore tore me apart because he was saying, you can't speak about an entire generation like that. It's callous and, and reckless to say that. But um, there are certain generational traits that are affected, but there's one commonality in that if your intent is to make people happy and feel loved, the way you do that is not by just giving things to them. It it actually backfires on you. It backfires with your children. It backfires your employee space. So the iteration of SDG Bucks program that we launched in our practice was every month, every person in the organization got 50 SDG Bucks. You couldn't redeem it for cash. Because we realize that experiences you'll remember a lifetime. I remember special dinners for my entire life, but someone giving me two hundred or four hundred dollars does not register in the who gets a crap meter. So it had to be for that. You couldn't give it to the same person more than once. Can't pay bills, right? With it, and we, and it, and we can't use it to pay bills. Um, if you do use it to redeem cash, you're just going to take a fifty percent deduction on it. So it's highly incentivized for experiences and, and stuff like that. And what we found. Um, It was at first a very cool experiment in meritocracy because certain people would come up to me and say, Hey, I have $1,500 in SDG bucks. And other people would say, this is not fair because I only have a hundred. And it was really cool to point back and say, wow, that's interesting. You only have a hundred. I wonder what's up with that. And it was just because, because work itself is very paternalistic. It's like, it's almost like, you know, Hey daddy, I showed up today. Can I get a raise? You know, I sat in my seat for another year. Can I get the gold star or raise? And we don't, life does not reward you. Just for showing up, life rewards you for performance, but it actually really backfired on us. And I think a lot of people were really upset. And the conversation Pete and I were having just when you got on board today, I have to unwind the benefit I was giving. Um, people don't respond well to that because once they're getting that gift, it's an entitlement. And um, I learned a lot through that SDG Buck program, and it so didn't it didn't wind up making the love that I wanted.
1: One modification, Chris. I think this is appropriate because it's a part in your book. The 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 bucks let's call it is that i took that that idea which craig and i do with each other and that's the beauty of our, our friendship but i said look it's it's as a business i can't give something just every month because we exist right so mine are benchmarks upon are, are predicated upon the bucks are predicated upon hitting certain financial benchmarks from the previous month so once they hit that mark then they get to deploy it the next month right it's not because if we have a shitty month right like it, I can't just be throwing out cash to everybody because like that is, so there's, there's reward metrics associated with like as a, as a team, which keeps us aligned. Right. And then everyone gets it at the same time for the next month. And then like Craig saying that the beauty of it is, is that there's a lot of social meritocracy we talk about, right. It's just, mm-hmm. and what people crave is, you know, that's why Instagram is so popular is because people crave uh, acknowledgement acceptance all that stuff like how many likes did I get how many shares did I get how many hearts did I get whatever right but if you're doing that publicly within your team people crave that and they don't even know they crave it totally so it's a cool thing to just literally you know Greg I think that's been one of your your best cultural uh, not gonna call it hacks but best cultural integrations that, that, that I've seen it's and I give you full credit bud. Well, um,
2: I mean, I think even on the rewards well, and recognition side, like, I mean, you've got to have a balance and like, we're not good at balance. None of us are. And, and the, unfortunately, there's not near enough connection and love happening in most organizations. You guys are anomalies. I mean, you guys are so far on the spectrum. Like all of these things, I'm talking to a lot of large corporations about the book and, and you guys
1: meaning dentists or you guys, no, to you, too, oh, you yeah. too,
2: you too are anomalies. Right? Mm-hmm. So, the other piece, I mean, in, in the book I talk about my seventy thirty rule, which is we all suffer from the grass is always greener complex, whether you mm-hmm. wanna admit it or not. And what changed that was really Instagram and you know what I instill also in everyone's heads is you gotta stop comparing your insides to other people's outsides and I introduced my seventy thirty rule. And my seventy thirty rule is thirty percent of your job's always gonna suck. And your job like no matter what, thirty percent of life is tough. Mm-hmm. And 70% should fuel you up and keep you going and and be somewhere in line with what you want to do. But 30% sucks. And listen, I'm a product of that. I talk about in my book how I hired a fishing guide when I was out in Sun Valley, Idaho, four years ago. And I told the dude, I was like, I don't care if I f- catch a fish or not. Like, catch me a freaking fish so I can post it on Instagram. And I want a picture of a video of me, silhouette with the mountains in the background. A river runs through in it like Brad Pitt here's 600 bucks like, you're going to pay 600 bucks for an Instagram post. I'm like, no, it's like 300 bucks each. Let's go. And this guy looked at me like I was crazy and admitting that to everyone be like, guys, I've done it. All right. Uh. And what the 70, 30 rule does is that it it constantly, it says mow your backyard and start watering it because the light, life is not perfect on the other side. And then I also say, all right, the other thing is sometimes you question where that 70% might be. And I call it my sitting in your car rule. And the sitting in the car rule is when you're sitting in your car and you're waiting to go to work and you have any sort, you know, you take the key out you take that deep breath and you're like, all right, let's do this thing. If two days in a row, you have a source of dread, you have like a darkness that you're like, I don't really want to go in today. And it's not associated to your own procrastination or issues or your own, um, self-development means, you know, you're pushing yourself, then something's got to change. And listen, As your boss, I'll help open up the doors for you to find something new. I think the old me, I would be like, no, you're not leaving. You can't leave me like that. Where's your loyalty? And I'm like, listen, dude, if you want to go, I'll help you. Um, You know, and then another thing I think that's instilled in this generation is my last tirade, is that we've got to fuel our people with purpose and passion that might not be in their day-to-day. So let's help them. Let's give them 10% of their time to donate their time to a side hustle. I encourage- Yeah,
0: everyone, let's Google. Like Google, did yeah, that, right?
2: Google does their 10% role where 10% of their time, a lot of their moonshots have graduated out of side hustles of employees. And but a lot,
0: a lot of this too is born out of like ridiculous profitability in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like reckless free lunches yeah, yeah. And so, so like I, I learned a lot of my initial I read delivering happiness by Tony Shea like you know back when it came out in 2013 or whatever and that really shaped me and a good buddy of mine Scott Galloway uh, Scott Galloway is a uh, best-selling author as well and big commentator and CNBC I take him to lunch he's like you know your business reeks of a couple things I'm like what he's like innovation and high touch and low EBITDA. And I feel like you read too many aspirational books about leadership and management. And here you are gonna be paying the price for it because back in the day, Google, Facebook were so, they were flush with VC and PE. They had so much money. They, did, they just could just do whatever they want. I think you can run a high touch, who gives a shit culture, like we'll just pay for everything. But what, what really millennials are looking for is like, not really a boss, but a coach and talent development is costly as fuck it's costly like to develop in my opinion especially especially, like to take someone that's you know that um that you know listen i'm 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 putting myself in a devil's advocate position with you because i preach this stuff all day long so it's like i'm i'm just and i'm also in a spot today where i had to undo some big benefits so i'm in an interesting place but I do believe that there are certain people, and I don't wanna just say millennials but certain people, if you're around anything long enough, you tend to take it for granted. And um, we have a lot of people that come in to, the, to an organization like mine and like, oh my God, free lunch every day? Like, oh my God, this is amazing. And invariably six months later, it's like, oh, chicken again? It's like, <laughs> you know, what do you mean? Like, so I just think that there is, there is a law of diminishing returns when you're giving away a lot of this stuff I just I just believe that
2: yeah I mean I agree to a certain extent but you know what like my favorite quote about this thing is millennials aren't the problem they just expose the problem or me, when I met with a buddy of mine who's a boomer at a fortune 50 company and he was that you know he read the book three times he's one of the stories in the book Mike Hibison he works for the home depot and he's a senior merchant over there and I knew he was going to either rip me or give me criticism like dude I'm too this is my heart, man, and I'm, I'm too far in this journey. I don't want criticism right now. And he was like, no, actually, it's not criticism. It's, you know what, what I, after reading the book, I'm kind of like a millennial, Chris. And, and he kind of whispered it, and I'm like, exactly. What I'm trying to expose here is just, we have evolved as a society so quickly. And uh, technology being a huge driver of that, and our corporations haven't caught up i would say you guys are anomalies right i mean the private practice small business side you can affect change in culture a lot quicker than
1: these larger because we're so yeah because of because our of your size and, and size yeah we're, we're more can, agile we're more agile yeah right
2: yeah. and some of the elements of like just around connection is stop having your one-on-ones with people and talking about business the whole time ask them about their family Ask them about their pet or their extracurriculars because at the end of the day, if we are to assume that role as a coach, to your point, Craig, or as a leader, then we got to start with real connection. And I think we so many people forget it. So I think you've got to give yourselves credit for being so far along on this journey and to be on the right side of this spectrum. And I'm talking to some of those com- companies about, I'm talking to some of those big startup-y, massively funded profitable institutions and where I focus with them on it's like guys let's focus on helping your employees identify individual purpose you know let's execute what does that look like in an online course and something where you can they can put a stake in the ground about their own purpose and then we as coaches and leaders can marry what they're currently doing and what you guys represent as an organization and start talking about how you get that person from here to there
1: that, that's such a dangerous proposition to me. You know, that, that, when you said that, I would, it just got me all like, God, I would hate to, ha- I would hate to help all these people only to find that they would realize the purpose was not where they're working. And therefore, like all I did was hustle to get them out of a job in which they were already content, you know, and that's the selfish part. I'm just playing again, Craig, sure. Craig devil's advocate, but I'm saying like, wow, like to do all that and then to really get someone to say, you know what? I just want to be a blogger. I don't want to be a dental assistant. I want to be a blogger or whatever. Right. And then you're like,
0: Oh, what have I done? Yeah. Well, I, I think, listen, I think it bears to mention as you were talking, Chris, I'm thinking like I, I, I argue, I, I, I was a little bit contrary to your points, but when you look at the general conversation that's going on in dentistry, and I spend a lot of time, unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not proud to admit it, but kind of like eavesdropping on Facebook pages of dental dentists talking, you know, these different, these chat rooms. And the conversation that's going on is so far away from what Pete and I or you're talking about right now that I can't, I can't, I want to, I want to just bring one thing up. It's like the conversations typically around, how do you, what are you doing so that your employees are not on their cell phones? Oh, well I make it, I have them check their cell phone in at eight 30 they don't get it until 5 PM. I'm like, holy shit. Like, oh my God, like that's like you, you, you're not, people are not, the, the work, work has changed and people talk about a work ethic. And it's now that work ethic is different now, and I think it bears to mention that back in the day, you were a factory worker, and you shut you shut the hell up, you did your job, the bell whistle, and you you were you were just putting the nut on the bolt all day. You just would do one process in a long chain of a, of an assembly line. Now, what we're requiring people is is the consumer craves an experience. They crave. You know, they want to go into a restaurant and say, hey, what's the fish of the day? Oh, my God, I'm so happy you asked because Johnny spearfished it this morning and rah, rah, rah. It's amazing. And Chef John, I, I, you know, they they want the whole story. And if you want to be a story brand, if you want to have a compelling story about who you are, the whole human needs to show up to the employee. You can't just take the process out of the employee. You need the whole messy human, the happiness, the sadness, the full gamut of the experience of humanity. And that's messy as shit. And most dentists are not willing to do that. And I know Pete and I are. So I'm commiserating because I'm talking to you and I'm talking to Pete, but the context going on is how do we process control the shit out of our people? How do we turn our people into robots? And if you're really as a dentist having that conversation, your business is going to suck. Because if you-
2: And look at the stats. I mean, I've memorized the stats at this point. As leaders, as, not as organizations, as leaders, what millennials are looking for, according to the 2018 Deloitte Millennial Survey, is one, inspirational leadership; two, autonomy; and three, transparency. And you better
1: as hell say not this again for work. me, Chris. Do it again. Yeah, make, so major.
2: one, inspirational leadership. Inspirational People leadership. That, okay. So uh, two, autonomy. They want their, autonomy. They day don't day they day want. Job. They want the opposite of control.
1: Which is what Craig always says. And
2: three, they want transparency. And now here's the funny thing about all three of those things. Ask Bob, who's the boss of whoever, whatever practice you have. Ask Bob, hey, Bob, are you an inspiration? You know, number one for millennials is inspirational leadership. Bob, are you an inspirational leader? And Bob will say, hell yeah, I'm an inspirational leader. Have you seen everyone that works with me when I'm talking to them? They light up. And then you go ask two of the people on Bob's team. And you're like, hey, dude just tell me is, is bob an inspirational leader and they'll turn and they'll say hell no he's not he bores me to tears and so i was like okay so what am i going to do about that well i created a millennial leadership assessment which is available on the millennial i worked with one of the top professors at vanderbilt and it is essentially a 360 survey starting with uh, inspirational leadership that gets your own self-evaluation, but also of your people to see what they think of you. Along What's with the web
1: address for that?
2: Uh, the, the millennialwhisper.com And, and you'll find the free. And survey. it's,
0: and it's completely double, it's double blind that people have anonymous feedback.
2: Yeah. It's
0: exactly. hard. I think I, we mentioned that in our book. I think that if you're not willing to get that blind um, 360 Yep. feedback you're not you're not an inspirational leader and it's hard i've done that i've had like executive coaches come in and ask stakeholders what are the five things i should do and never do and it's really hard and by the way how you show up at work typically all the faults you have at work and we all have faults they're pretty similar to the stuff you're doing at home too so you yep. don't work on one domain in your life and not have it affect the others
2: yeah well i mean and i think you know another one of those is i think a lot of people misinterpret um, like transparency What's, people think that transparency means that you have to stand up in front of your people and either tell them all of your financials or cry. And it's like, no, how about this? Let's start with last week. Name one mistake. Start your speech when you're doing your all hands meeting and start with the one mistake. Show your people that you're just human. So it's humility too. So it's
1: transparency and humility. Got it. I love that. That I can agree agree with. Yeah,
0: because- Well, those build trust. You know, if you're pontificating that you're the big, you know, I mean, listen, back in the day, you know, by being, by meaning back in the day, 10 years ago, you could just be this iconic person because of your stature and everybody's bent down and worshiped you. Now being the man is actually to your detriment. The more the more successful you are, the more dose of humility you need. I mean, yeah. there's an attack on people uh, that are successful; they tear them down. Totally. So I think as you rise in your stature, you have to have a commensurate rise in humility. Yeah. People that demand more from you.
1: Finally, the bulletproof practice book is out on Amazon. Craig and I have distilled down our experiences in dentistry over the past twenty years in our true to form unfiltered fashion that y'all have come to expect from our podcast. We talk about our victories and our bruises, and it's 132 pages of vision, leadership, marketing, and even just life as a dentist. And it's meant to entertain you. So we hope you'll support us and grab a copy on Amazon today. Thanks friends. So Chris, you talk about like literally the, I think the, one of the, the taglines of your book is, you know, it's the playbook for the millennial generation, right? Yep. Am I right? Am I right on that? Or am I just saying that? No, you're right. You're right.
2: Um, So practical profit focused playbook.
1: So can you give any more? So I love to, I'm always the guy who tries to go tactical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can you give us some, obviously there's a lot of anecdotal stuff. There's some stories in there, not only about Spodak and ADS bucks, but also kind of what the, my ADS cares program where I align people, you know, philanthropically, uh, altruistically through, through um, you know the charity that we want to be aligned with and so that's created more for having them feeling good about what they're doing you know if the business is doing well then obviously we can we can give back but that creates the alignment and man that that just does so many powerful things in my uh, but can you give some more I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm always wanting to give pearls and tips and 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 tactics for people um, as opposed to sometimes just theory is what a lot of podcasts talk about. So, can you give some hacks on what what we could give to our colleagues so, day yeah. one? So, I'm going to
2: start with also what makes this generation different. Well, one, I start the book by you got to divide this uh, this generation into older millennials, which I call Oregon Trail millennials, and younger millennials, <laughs> which is Snapchat millennials. Because the <laughs> older millennials, they grew up with they they didn't grow up with a cell phone. They grew up. Wait, is it Oregon, Oregon
1: Trail the game you're talking about? Yeah, the about? game. Like they're or-
2: they played Oregon Trail at some point during their education. Like you guys are laughing at it because it's true. Those I are the older it, millennials. But if you know what it is, yeah, yeah. then you're an older millennial. I'm not or a you're, uh, but... you're a little bit older than that, right? <laughs> the other one is like the Snapchat millennial. Craig's
0: definitely is. not a millennial. Yeah, no, I'm 47. But I actually no. think like one. I really yeah. do. So, I mean,
2: I think all three of us do. We wouldn't be, be, yeah. we wouldn't be talking about this stuff if we, if we weren't. But, you know, and then so, but the, what makes them so different and generationally is when the recession of 2008 hit either them, the older ones were in the marketplace or about to actually enter it, um, or their parents. Younger millennials saw their parents lose their jobs before going off to college. Or in the younger millennials, they were nine. So they're in these formative years and they saw their mom and dad lose their job. So as they're entering the marketplace, they're like, I need a place to hang my hat. The less I need security, it's opposite from the older ones. And so you also look at then the other huge variable, what makes them very different generations within that massive span of 82 to 96 is when in their life they adopted technology and social media. Because the younger ones, the Snapchat millennials from 13 on, Anytime they wanted instant gratification, they got it with a like and a post. Anytime they wanted it, and you look at the older millennials, a lot of them were in college or after college until they got their first smartphone, and Facebook was hitting the the the, the scene their senior year of college. So what it's done is it's created across. I'm getting over my passion disorder is taking over. Yeah, <laughs> but it, what it does is it creates two very different generations, and so. You know, you look at some of the tenets of the book and you look at the reward and recognition one being one, right? And ADS box is a great example of that. Um, Or what do you call it? No, it's it's, it's
1: SDG books.
2: SDG SDG books. But
0: let me just touch on that since you touched on that. That, You know, if you steal from one, it's plagiarism. If you you steal from many, it's research. So I want to give the original thought of that to um, Chuck Blakeman, who is also a very um, well-recognized author. He wrote... Um, why employees are always a bad idea. Um, and he was the one who did, came up with that idea. Um, I love it. Yeah. So, so it's, Chris, it's all wanna, been circling. I
1: want to ask you something, but you just said it. it just literally put chills on me is that, you know, we always think of 2007, eight, nine being, or, or really just 2009 being catastrophic from a financial world. But are you saying that it was a pivotal point in a cultural standpoint? Because yes. Yeah, of course. I, I never thought about like that, Lee. Yeah, they, they, see their, they saw they see the pain, their, almost like yeah. the Great Depression did for like my grandfather, right? Yes. He saw it and, it, and it totally but made... But the point. younger
2: ones, like the ones that are entering the marketplace, those 23, they were almost too yeah. young to remember it. So I think that's a, that's a huge difference of what we're now dealing with Generation Z of what's coming after. They haven't really seen that. Like we expect uh, yeah, they, it, we're like, when's they, it coming They've next? been in
1: the bull market the entire, they're almost right. their
2: entire. It's like, we're like, when's it coming? Like when, or when's it all gonna come down again? Where are at, so what I'm saying though is regardless is we have all changed drastically. Like just those differences, what it's done to our brains and what it's meant in terms of getting the needs for rewarding and recognizing people, whether you want to admit it, it has. And I say to everyone I know that if your head hits the pillow and you're not utterly exhausted from over and building up your people that day, you haven't done it enough. And so you want to talk about tactics, Peter, I think we start with rewards and recognition. We've talked about the bucks. you know, the ridiculous example I use in the book is, uh, and what I say is it doesn't always, it's not always financial. It's actually some of the best rewards and recognition programs are peer to peer in your case with the box where they're actually giving it to each other um, or it's it's something more uh, symbolic
0: yeah craig has like is that your internal facebook well, well no i we, i wanted to just mention something kind of in, yeah. i'm loving what you're saying and i'm so happy that we're having this conversation cuz it's um it's uh uh just refreshing to hear this again but this morning like you know there's a, a saying i always love it says the the getting is in the giving and, you know, obviously, there's been many quotes about like, you know, getting is what you make a you know, living out of and what you give makes a life. But this morning in the middle of the night last night, I wrote up because we did this thing called the kudos program in the morning. And we say who did something exceptional yesterday. And typically, it takes a little jump start sometimes, but it'll go on and on and on. And last night, yes, last night, this is the note I wrote. It says kudos Ashley P for Invisalign, dad for being humble, Dr. Alfredo for Erica for helping me every day, Susie for a guide, and exactly. P for being amazing, wow. Natalie for a quick growth wow I, I mean, love it awesome. um, All right, so I'm go for making each day amazing like that I was just it. that was just last night you know so I just it went on and on Chris and on. Chris is getting excited over there
1: no, <laughs> <but that laughs> this is also like, my
0: favorite and, part. and it was from Feb, last night 11 o'clock at night and I did it at 8 35 this morning but every day if you can listen what's wrong is always available but so is what's right the yeah. human brain is a two-million-year-old organ that's always looking for what's wrong. It's what kept us alive. The brain, as Tony Robbins always says, the brain is an instrument of survival, not of happiness. Yep. So left to the default, it's always looking, is that person trying to hurt me? Is this thing going to attack me? Is that roof going to fall? Is this thing, the car going to swerve away? So it's your job to cultivate gratitude. Without yep. your daily practice of you know, cultivating that, you're just going to find everything going fucking wrong. Totally. And it's our job as leaders, managers, and uh, business owners to find out what's going wrong. So that's what we are told, like find out what's going wrong. And, and if you could just spend a little bit of time catching people doing things right, I know that sounds so fucking cliche, but magic starts happening because it shifts your perspective, shifts your energy and people can tell whether you're happy or sad and pissed off and a happy leader gets more shit done than an upset leader. Yeah. We want to please the happy leader. If you're always bitching, you know, it's, it's going to get worse, but, um, I think that it's just really important to have that, that daily practice. And for, for one takeaway from, from my viewpoint is just try to find an, a team member doing something right. We never say staff. We never call them employees. I never say that this person works for me because the semantics are so important. Everybody works with me. I've never said in my entire life that person works for me. They work with me. If they win, I win. If they don't win, I, I, you know, and I, I love those conversations where you could tell people like to use, use your language, Pete, that we're equally yoked. The better you do, the better I do. Yeah. Pete help, helped me through a really tough conversation I had with an associate doctor recently. It's just like, you've got to get aligned. You've got to say I'm in your corner, but it's up to him to make that growth and that change. So I just painted the picture bro, if you don't course correct you're going to fail. And if you fail, I fail because if you do better, I do better. And it was a really cool conversation because I've always had, and maybe many of the listeners can resonate with this. I've always had a desire to be liked. And if you're a pleaser and you want to be liked, it's not even about that fucking person. It's about you. You're being a selfish jackass. A pleaser is a selfish jackass. A giver, whether you like me or not, I'm going to help you. And that's where I think that a lot of leadership has to come into play.
2: Well, I'm going to add a tactic to, I think this and kind of right in line with what you're talking about in that text, but I start, so this is the more like, okay, what's, what's something that we can implement tomorrow or today in our team status, when you get everyone together, that we can start incorporating pieces of this in. So I did it. And actually, I didn't steal this from someone. I'm like, you guys steal everything, it seems like, from other from people. From each other. We're
0: going we're gonna to rewrite your book, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah,
2: Please do. But we're I the start dental, all of we're
0: my, the dental We're the patient whisperers. Yes. Yeah. We're the dental millennial whisperer.
2: But uh, So I start our team statuses with what I call snaps. And snaps is where we start every – we just do peer-to-peer recognition. And I usually start us off and I was like, listen, I'm going to give snaps to Meg. She went above and beyond for that – pitch or she was going through a tough time and she showed up and she covered and she got so snaps and then everyone just goes and does snaps that happens and I'm, we're now a year and a half into this every single weekly our team statuses we do this it lasts between 20 and 40 minutes that's awesome So, wow. and you know what it does it, it so you know how we used to do statuses is we'd all fill out an Excel spreadsheet and talk about what we were working on and it's like, all right, wow, wow, Charles, wow. you're up. Well, I did this. You cover everything that would be on that status sheet. And it creates this environment of building each other up and empathy and, and recognition. And so my more extreme example in the book, that's where I end it. Um, the more extreme example is a company out in San Francisco and this company is called Domo. They refer to all of their employees as Domo sapiens. And on your first day, a domo sapien will put their name and then there's a Spotify playlist that they have to add their, uh, at bat song on, or, you know, their, their song of the day that if they're going to go and speak in front of a huge crowd, what's that song going to be? And so you put that, you know, we are the champions or whatever on the first day of every month at the middle, at the very beginning of the day through their loudspeakers, someone's at bat song goes blue sirens go off. And then everyone starts clapping as they drag a 12 foot blue rooster to the desk of that salesperson of the month. And, and that everyone is clamoring to have that 12 foot blue rooster sitting next to their desk. What's the monetary reward? Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But guess what? It works, you know? And that's something that I think is cool. That is awesome. So you, you, know,
1: you could do that with a rabbit in your yard. Yeah, you could. You Craig has the either. biggest rabbit in all of South Florida. It's like a pink giant 20-foot rabbit.
0: I love it. I um, told my daughters
2: that I'd buy one of them a, a, a horse if I sold a million bucks. And my other daughter said, okay, well, then will you get me a bunny? I was like, yeah, I'll get you
0: two bunnies if I sold <laughs> a million bucks. So, so you know what's interesting is that, that the market crash and all that stuff. It's, it's a pendulum of, you know, it's a pendulum. And, and, and for the longest time, work used to be this oppressive thing. And people respected authority and people would just shut up and do their job. And, and I think boomers, if anything, we're really good at faking like we're busy. So we can fake engagement really well. You think about George Costanza taking a nap under his desk and he's like, George Costanza at Seinfeld would always say, just look like you're angry at work and then people would never ask you to do anything. So you're walking around like, oh, oh. like, what's wrong? I need you to make copies. You know, just look like you're angry. And millennials are just different. Millennials won't fake it. And and I think that the, the, now you need to have something compelling to work for so we have charity programs and we have you know corporate gift match programs. so if you donate to any charity we match the donation we actually have our own non-for-profit a children's dental charity which we started with uh, New York um, um, Yankee uh, John Carlos Stanton but I want to give one small piece of advice because the concept of the boss is a hard thing for Millennials to, to really resonate with so I constantly say this in the practice we all work for the same boss in this practice. The boss is the patient. We all serve the patient. So my boss is the patient. So if, you need, if, if I'm asking you to do something, but there's a patient that needs you to do something, that trumps everything. So the boss is the patient that's either in front of you that you're taking care of. And if you can resonate or cultivate a message around that, then that takes a lot of the hierarchy that's disruptive to the millennial mindset out of it. That there's not there's not a there's not a guy up at front whipping. It's just saying we all we all work for that same.
2: I would have added that to my book had I had had we been about uh, six months ago. Darn it.
0: Well you did add everything in my book you just gave to your book but you just gave Peter credit for it I just got so, attribution for it Yeah you just yeah. got attribution for it, it. One really I really like that but it's but it's not the hierarchy and 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 you know the Garfield picture with Monday sucks just kill me and smh my life sucks it's time for work millennials won't do it they just won't do it they'd rather make meaning than make money and they'll rather join the peace corps and make no money so you can't pay them, which is a beautiful quality, by the way. The army loves millennials; they're very good soldiers. Yeah. Um, but you can't pay them to do something. Just in the same way, you know, big corporations have all been dismantled, and you can't now. Big corporations are act, trying to act small. Yeah. So like Anheuser Busch launching craft breweries, and you have to only you find out later. Oh shit! This is Anheuser Busch that owns this, it, you know. So. Well, everybody- I mean,
2: and that pairs up really nicely to, you know. I think the George Costanza example is because George Costanza had to stay at work all day every day. There was no flexibility to it. And if you look at what are millennials, statistically speaking, according to all the surveys. Nothing really changes of what people are looking what people are looking for from companies. They want money first. It doesn't change from generation to generation. That's the number one thing. Now, once we start actually breaking down two, three, and four, that's where we start seeing some differences and work flexibility of yeah. allowing people to work from where they want to work because this and what that opens up that is people feel so, I think um, like uh, claustrophobic, just staying in one place. We all do like, so if someone wants to work from a coffee shop for three hours, then let them work from their coffee shop. And, and it's they'll, a little different they'll work
0: way. harder, by the way, when you, yeah. studies show that when you give unlimited vacation time, people take less. Yeah. You know, and and I always talk, when I talk to employees, I talk with in the word, the, the acronym terms, T-E-R-M-S. It's time, experience, recognition, money, stuff. So every relationship we have, I don't sit and tell Peter, hey, Peter, you're a really good friend. Here's a hundred dollars. Peter would like slap me in the face. like, What the fuck is your problem? But like work is just relationships. It's relationships within your work and relationships with the client. And that's all business really is, is relationships. And if you have a relationship that only talks with money as a form of exchange of affection or love, you're going to screw that relationship up. So you automatically go into a review and say, here's, here's another dollar for sitting in the same seat, or here's another $5. When in actuality, that flexibility, that time experiences, recognition, money stuff, what is most important to you? What would, what would be a good token of appreciation for what I did? Well, what I'd really love is I'd love to have the week of January off. I mean, of the week, the first week in January offer, I'd really love the ability to, uh, you know, have student loans and I'd love to have, you know, someone help me with my student loans. I mean, these are such important things that actually may not cost you money if they repay you or, or you make negative exchange, but we only talk in money and it sucks that we're, that we've kind of strapped our hands to only talk in dollars. And that's just an, that's a hard thing to communicate if you're only talking in dollars. Yeah.
1: Chris, so we can buy your book. I want to be, uh, I know we've got a hard stop here, so I'm going to, I'm going to wrap it. So we can I had too much your, coffee too. You can buy. You guys, you guys were great together. Um, it's on Amazon, right? Or should, yeah. or should those of us who yeah. want it be directed to so just buy it on Amazon? Buy okay. it. Yeah.
2: I mean, or, I mean, and it should be now that we were a bestseller last week, it should be at Barnes and Noble it'll be, we'll be in airports soon. And I mean, we should be pretty wow. much.
0: That's awesome. Congrats, man. I can't big wait time. to read it. Big time. Yeah, I'm psyched. I mean I'm uh, there's a big book
1: signing tonight locally. I'm going to the uh, I'm going to I'm going to get my own autograph from
0: Yes. Like if you guys all didn't order enough books to support me. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that with ours. That's funny. <laughs> I would have thought, I'll buy one right now actually. I'm going to go out and buy it. You got a I lot of it. reviews too. 62 five-star reviews, which is sick. That's so cool, man.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I I leave everyone with no matter what we've got to, we've got to change the way that we're running our organizations. And I think deep down my intentions are so pure around writing this book. And it's, I think, a massive need and deficit in creating real human to human connection and creating an environment of love and empathy and I think people will find that not only do I talk about it and back it up with stats, but I've got tactics that you can actually put into place, and some which have come from you guys. So I appreciate all of your help in
1: I know you both very well, and i'm I'm sitting here looking at you, I'm like, you guys are like super similar and you don't know each other, but you're very similar. Craig, you need to be the millennial whisperer for dentists. like you know they had an e myth for dentist. You need yeah. to be like, the guy because you're yeah. i always i always joke with him chris i'm like you're the tony robbins of dentistry everyone just gravitates towards you like craig has i've never seen someone have so many best friends in all my life right mm-hmm. like i i can count mine in like one sentence like five one hand there you go there's my friends but craig's like no my good buddy this i'm like i've never even heard of this guy he's like yeah, yeah I've got a hundred best friends like right and everyone loves him because he's such a giver and 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 doing and, all they, and
0: they don't like me because i'm a giver too sometimes yeah. Or, yeah just don't take it away craig yeah, I, I think uh, you said something earlier that really resonated with me, Chris, and, and you were talking about love and compassion. And, and there's a very well-known um, uh, idea that all communication, communication is only two, two things to do. The, all, the goal of is only is binary, It's one of two things. It's either a loving expression or a cry for help, nothing else. So either you're giving someone a loving expression or you're just injured and you're reaching out for help. That's all it is. So if you can go about everything that ever comes out at you, every communication that ever comes out at you and see the difference and, and know that a cry for help just needs a little bit of massaging to get to a loving expression. It it makes, um, it makes it very simple. Yeah. I love that. And you know, I think a big thing that I talk about a lot is it's one thing saying, it's another thing
2: doing. And one of my favorite things I talk about in the book is turn your lets into a by when there's nothing worse than people saying, let's write a book. All right. Then do it. Like, so answer your let's with a buy one. And I think, I think, you know, to uh, to a large part, we all live in this world where we like to talk, but now let's actually, let's, let's walk the talk. So, so answer that let's with, okay, buy one. I mean, yeah, and actually implement this, implement this just, yeah, let's grab, how many times does someone say, let's grab a drink or let's grab coffee. And then nothing happens. Mm -hmm. Next time someone says that to you, say buy one. And they're going to be like, "Uh," ah, next two weeks. And it happens.
0: Yeah, we have in our, in our huddle, we actually have the buy when board. It's I love it. Board. So, the buy it when board has four things it has what it is, the champion. So, the champion means you're not going to do it, but you're responsible for the result. So, we, we've got to always remember that even though you're not volunteering to do it, you're just going to make sure that it gets done. And then, buy when. And the best part about a buy when is canceling it off because if you say you should do something, Tony always says you should all over yourself. Most people should all over themselves. Yeah. And you ruin your own integrity when you say I'm going to do this and you don't put the buy when because long term you won't do it and you'll feel like a jackass and you'll lose trust in yourself. Totally. The worst thing you can do is lose trust in yourself and lose, lose that for yourself. So even just for yourself. Totally. Like great to cross things off of a buy when board It's totally. public recognition. So like, Erica, congratulations. We did this and everybody applauds it. So we have okay. a buy when board. I thought that was funny. That's a good pearl for people too. Yeah, buy I one. Still, board. I
1: like that. I might, I might steal that too, Craig. Let's
0: yeah, steal it. That's right. for a second edition. <laughs> <laughs> so good.
1: It's so good. You got, uh, I, you I, got a couple saying, more books in you, Craig.
0: Uh, we'll dude, see dude, if Pete wants you, to you, do it. I'm not doing it without Pete. No, no, I'm, I'm tapped out. I was a one and done. Oh, then i'm gonna do one i'll do one with you chris yes, yes. there we go there see, we go see, careful everything
1: happens for a reason
0: um oh, i love this conversation this is a good reminder to me because i'm coming in today listen we all get beat up i'm coming in today a little beat up because of the conversations i had to have and uh it was a really kind of divine guidance for me to recognize that hey this is you know that you were the one banging on the drum about this five, six years ago. So don't, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't lose your way. So this was cool. Thank you guys.
1: Well, everybody go buy his book, support him. He's one of my good buddies and just a good human. So um, yeah, Chris, I can't wait to watch you just watch your rocket ship continue to, to go into to, to orbit here, pal. Um, and thanks for, thanks for taking the time. I know you got a ton of stuff to do. You got a book signing here in about what five hours and uh, a lot of prep for that. So thanks for taking the time to come on with us, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank
2: you guys. It's awesome uh, meeting you, man. Yeah, awesome stuff you guys are doing.
1: Thank you, pal. Awesome. All right. Until next time, Bulletproof listeners, we'll see you later. See you guys. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. If you got any value or insight from today's episode, it massively helps us create awareness if you would take five seconds and leave us a review in iTunes. Also, Stay in touch with our updates and such by just texting the word bulletproof, all one word, to 345-345. We promise not to bombard you with spam texts or anything, but it will help update you on special opportunities for our listeners, as well as even info on the upcoming Bulletproof Summit 2019. Again, that's the word bulletproof to 345-345. Thanks so much, y'all. Have a great day.